You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Hello everyone, welcome back to Arsenal Pass, episode 136. I'm sat here, literally sat here this time, next to the one Brennan Patrick in Brennan's hotel room. Brennan, hello. In the recru- in the recording studio, you mean? Uh, Sorry, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oops. Tiny hotel room in Barcelona right now. We just transferred over from the Airbnb. I've been out here for a few days uh, in a testing house with Sasha, um, Peter, Majin Bay, and now Alex Alexander Vor. So the worst Vor brother, apparently. Um, just playing like twelve to fifteen hours a day. It's actually been pretty insane, to be honest. Uh, one of the most intense testing schedules and testing houses I've been a part of, because usually it's just been me and Sasha. People come in pretty late and we, we sort of do the group thing after that. Uh, but this time, I mean, I wake up at 7, 8 a.m. There's eight dudes in my house and we're just playing fab fab all day. So, yeah, I'm, feel, I'm feeling very, very prepared to uh, not play this weekend. Yeah, I was about to say, you're not even playing Worlds. And your preparation has been in stark contrast to mine, which I'll, I'll talk about in a moment. But um, thank you for making sure that you leave the house and I stay there and I'm just surrounded by (laughs) gamers, dude. (laughs) Yeah, it is. uh, It is not a huge Airbnb, which I guess we can get into that story as well, but it's packed. So basically uh, the big story, what happened? happened? Yeah. The big story of, uh, of this trip so far is uh, we had our Airbnb booked in a nice location near the venue about one to two months in advance. And then upon checkout time, it was canceled. Chicken, chicken time. <laughs> Check-in time, yeah. sorry. So as soon as I landed after my you know, 12, 15-hour flight, Sasha as well, we found out we had no place to stay. Obviously, that's uh, a bit unethical and uh, kind of a shit situation. So we had to book something last minute after that, still through Airbnb. And so we're, we're in an interesting spot, to say the least. We're basically in the suburbs of Barcelona, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not the most idyllic area. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we also had to fight through like four or five support tickets to get compensated the difference between uh, the price for the old Airbnb and the new one because the new one is much worse. It's in a much worse location, but it is uh, almost a thousand dollars more because we booked it last minute. So mm-hmm. luckily we did get to uh, we got that compensation finally. But still, I mean, it's about a 30, 45 minute walk from yeah. where everybody else is staying. 40, 45. It's like a. 15 minute Uber to, because we just Ubered to your, your yeah. hotel room for recording. It's also so. downhill on the way here. It's all downhill. And if yeah. you walk back, it's all uphill. Yeah. yeah. I will only be doing the walk maximum <laughs> one way. And you can you can have a guess which way that'll be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you've been here the last few days. I've literally just arrived four or five hours ago, got off the plane, hopped straight into a cab. Uh, we did a draft just before. Um, and then now we've fl- you know flicked over to your hotel to, to record the pod and talk about I mean, we're going to obviously talk about Worlds and what's going to happen this weekend. A lot of things, you know, you've been grinding, you've been uh, with players who've also been grinding. My lead up's been a little bit different. I've been in the UK for the past week. I think I've played max four games of Flesh and Blood in the last week. So I have about 48 hours to really, not even that, right? What have I got? 24. I've got about 30 odd hours to, to really get grinding and uh, work out what the hell I'm doing this weekend for Worlds. For sure. I think a lot of people. Not a lot of people, but a decent amount of people in our testing group and testing house uh, don't play flesh and blood like all the time, every single day, kind of like we used to, where something like coming in two, three days before would probably be a bit more manageable, um, especially if you were you've kind of knew what deck you were coming on. Where yeah. we were at is we came in on Sunday and we're so, and we came in with like, what are the best decks in the meta? Let's go from scratch. Let's figure out where, what we're building from that. So that's a bit of a longer process. And... Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I feel like it's worked out, but we're not on anything. I mean, I say we. So for this tournament, the groups that I've been with and the groups that Hayden are with are, are different. So yeah. I don't know what Hayden's playing. Um, and I guess theoretically, Hayden doesn't know what I'm playing, but it's uh, the group is playing. God, yeah, I forget. Yeah. I'm not playing. <laughs> um, but it, it's no secret for us. We're uh, Pretty much everybody in the house is on Jermai, uh, Iceland, or Bravo, just the top three decks in our opinion. Uh, and we're not going too many layers deep. So because of that, you know, that process takes a while. And I feel like Sunday is like, it's like just enough time at this point to actually get very, very prepared for the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. I'm relying on some amazing people and some amazing friends to help me because I've been a little bit transient. I think this time around, not really knowing how I was going to test the lead up to worlds has not been ideal for me, unfortunately, and not what I would like to do. I'd love to be here on a Sunday evening, like you Mm -hmm. say, grinding it out, working out, what I'm going to play, how I'm going to play, what my deck's going to look like. So um, I'm jumping on a deck that, that others have built. 
that I need to learn how to play in the next two days. And then uh, also just trying to get draft reps in. But look, I mean, one thing about these events is, I don't know if you feel this, but like you you land and things just happen so quickly. Like you're, you're just living in it constantly, right? Like these events, it's like nothing else in the world exists, right? Like if I asked you now, right now, Brendan, be like, what's, what's the news headlines right now in the world? You have no clue because you're just in the source. Yeah. Um, what does fun- Barcelona look like, dude? You've been here for, for five days. What does Barcelona look yeah, like? It looks like uh, just a random city in the U.S., to be <laughs> honest, for the most part. But um, it's funny because Hayden's actually sitting next to me in person and I can say, you know, in lieu or sort of in the in the spirit of you saying that, you know, things just kind of happened and you, you know, you're you're get lost in the sauce. I mean, I haven't showered in like 40 hours. I can smell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, got, I got that gamer <laughs> smell on me. It's just been wild. I mean, I swear to God, I literally opened my eyes and there's like five, six people in the house. And then it's you have like, a booster pack in your hand. Yeah, it's drafts. It's, you know, this this matchup or that matchup. So it's intense. I mean, that these times are the my favorite part about Flesh and Blood. Um, I think from a gameplay standpoint, the testing wasn't as fun as it usually is. Uh, maybe it's because we're on like layer one, tier one decks. Um, but the whole process is really interesting and it's mm. at least it's at least intellectually engaging. Yeah, I can't I can't speak for myself this time. But I just yeah, things just I feel like when you're when you're here and you're in these things, like I got here like five hours ago, it feels like I've been here for half an hour. Like, I yeah. don't know, just, uh, things just happen. So, all right, we're going to talk about metagame. We're going to really riff off what we dove into last week, which was like the shaping up of the world's metagame. We've, I mean, mostly you have been testing intensely, and I think you have a, a really good handle on uh, the, the meta in terms of the power level of decks. And I think I feel pretty across what the meta is going to be from like my conversations and, mm-hmm. and who I've been sort of trying to get a few games in here and there with and talking to. Um, so we're definitely going to go over that. First of all, though, no real news this week, but we might dive into some, uh, some comments. Mm-hmm. I want to say a big thank you to everyone who did participate in the Arsenal Pass survey for podcast and YouTube channel. We are trying to grow the channel and and bring you the content that people people want. Uh, get the content out there. So uh, we do have a couple of fun things to share, Brendan. Um, one of the questions that people responded to in the survey was, um, "Who would survive longer in a in a zombie apocalypse in a zombie apocalypse outbreak, Brendan?" So what do you think? The overwhelming no. Who who do you think? Me or you? What do you think people thought? I have no idea. I think, uh, I don't know, I probably come off as a bit more intellectually inept than you, so maybe I'm going first. I would say the overwhelming feedback seemed to be, uh, you had the physicality, I have the, the mental game apparently, oh, which, yeah. I, I don't know. I like, don't know if physicality trumps in that situation. <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think you're going to want the brains for the, the zombie apocalypse. This is my favorite one though. This is um, a response from someone mm. that, uh, that Chase shared with us who compiled the survey for us. Brendan is significantly more physically fit significantly oh, come on that's a bit short change there which gives him a significant advantage however his love of heuristics and absolutes would lead him into a situation that he would be unable to survive Hayden is more careful and cunning and would be able to stay out of bad situations that they haven't met me mm. yeah uh, but may not have the physical might to perform needed tasks in an emergency I love how you're just like this like the frail old man you're just, like just a doughboy to this person with this in mind Hayden would survive longer but would likely fall to Brendan's above hey, average uh, physique zombie Hayden's gonna be back at the camp guys gathering nuts for all the men when we come back with the food <laughs> my actually my favorite one was that someone replied saying that um you would in very brendan patrick fashion would underestimate the power of the zombies and think that ah that, that zombie is trash unplayable mm. and that would bite you and kill you so that was apparently what would happen very, um, very possible <laughs> we might we might share some of these in the future but um so, no but in in ser- all seriousness the actual responses that we got from the survey um, have been very helpful in helping us to decide how we're going to take the content into i mean the rest of the year but 2024 as we head into um our wait that'll be our third year of arsenal pass yeah uh, it's crazy to think i mean it's it's a funny process when you look when you look back at it in a retrospective because it really is an endurance game more than anything else <laughs> i feel like at this point seems um, to be especially from the experience of you know trying to repeat this in in other games um and being sort of at the genesis of those uh of those podcasts looking at arsenal pass and for how long we've lasted and why we are where we are it is really just every single time that like the question has come into my mind of if we should stop doing this or slow down or skip a week. It's just like immediate no. There's just a heuristic of we just kind of <laughs> we just keep rolling with it, and that that's really all it takes to be honest. Um, and then obviously we have a great community. Heuristics. Yeah. All right. I want to start off the main topic of the pod talking about the meta game for Worlds, and um, we're going to talk all things Worlds. We're going to talk about like some of the players we're expecting this week as well, um, regionality as well. We're going to talk about because this is the World Championships. This is where you represent your country. Uh, if you were at 
the World Championships 2022 or you saw any of the coverage from the World Championships in 2022. You know, we have the flag procession Mm -hmm. uh, with all the national champions uh, bearing the flags to come out at the start of the event. I assume that's happening again. And there is like definitely this national sense of pride that you don't get at other PTs. And a lot of the teams, we'll we'll talk about this, um, I've had some conversations with different groups, but a lot of the teams, especially within Europe, tend to stay within their countries and work together. Um, and actually, that's kind of happened in a lot of other groups this time. I mean, I know that's... Yeah. yeah well, so. I don't know about... War- I feel like as Flesh and Blood grows as a game, as it gets more mature and just the player base gets better in general, the testing groups actually feel more open to me. Maybe yes, it's because I'm, yes, in, I'm in an open testing group. Um, but, you know, there's people... That's, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's people from, like, all different groups that were, like, coming to the house. And, yeah. um, you know, pretty much everyone is putting their heads together to just find the best thing. Because yep. it also feels like it... And this is probably funny in in context of what you might be playing because you're te- you te- all Hayden told me is it's spicy, but um, from our understanding, like the meta game feels like it's not like so solidified, but there are just very it's powerful clear. understood decks. Yeah. yeah, so it's we're not really trying to break anything or flip anything on its head. So um, I think just the more people you have in the kitchen, it kind of the well, better, especially for limited. I think like I rocked into the place today and and you know we just started just shouting ideas at each other about this draft format right like hey what do you think about this what do you say about this do you like this card or you know yeah everybody in that in that house was a forced techlo believer i'll tell you that well until i arrived maybe not (laughs) maybe you after after the draft though the thing yeah i mean it's such a it's an interesting format um i mean that house had an eight man techlo pod the night before and uh we just had a three max one dash uh and then four techlo in the previous pod so i'm not sure the only thing i don't like about dash and i don't like about max is i feel like the floors are they can be like craters in in comparison to Tecla, where the floor is very stable. So we'll see for for something like the World Championships and th- these dual format tournaments are such an oddball because you you spend so much time at Class Constructed, but you know draft is basically half the tournament if you don't count yep. the top eight and it's six of fourteen rounds. Yeah, yeah about forty percent of the rounds. It's very challenging to prepare for it to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I feel like uh, I feel like this format is very skill expressive for the players at the very, very top end. Like it feels like a very yeah. low variance format. Good players kind of win very consistently. But yeah, from like a gameplay and like a theory standpoint in terms of like how to build your deck and what to play, I don't think it's as deep. But that being mm. said, the people that play clean, in my experience, like they have been just having success after success after yeah. success. Maybe it's hard to understand this format because it is, it's so, I don't know, it's so rooted in memes to an extent as well. Yeah. Like a lot of things you hear about these this people talking absolutes. Yeah, they talk in absolute and they talk in memes, right? Force tech low. Um, you know, these anything, cards aren't playable. Anything about any of these, yeah. Yellows take them out. Exactly. Bananas. You need block threes. Yeah. The blues go early. Um, junkyard dog. You got that dog in you. Like all this stuff. So I don't know. It's a weird format to be honest. Let's stay on draft because it is like you say. It's you know it's forty percent of the rounds at, at the world championship. Um, like realistically, you've had exposure to different draft pods, um, you know, a lot of conversation around draft. What do you actually think is going to happen in the draft format? Like how, how let's start with this question. On average, how many ticklers in a pod? <laughs> I mean, optimally or how many do no, I no, think? No, 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 no. How much do you think there'll be? Like, we I think it will be us. five to six in a pod. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely do. And I think that, you know, we'll see pods that are at seven or at seven, at eight. But I think six will be roughly average, five yeah. probably being, um, you know, pretty similar to that. I mean, People understand that tech. I think that I don't know if Teclo is more powerful than Phi, but I think that it is more consistent than Phi to an extent. Because Phi, I mean, I, it's just this is a, this format is a bell curve, right? You have the bottom of the bell curve, which is people saying force Teclo, do all this stuff, and then you have the rest of the top where people are like, oh, Dash and Max win pods. I don't know if you've seen this meme; it's freaking hilarious. I mean, it's the top the top of the bell curve is Dash and Dash and Max win pods, and then the bottom again is like some sort of force, force Teclo variant. But that's how it was. Okay, so this is my my take on the format, right? So first of all, I'll give my prediction. I think the the average is going to be about like between five five point five Teclos. I think you have pods that are going to have yeah six seven Teclos. You have pods that are going to have two or three Teclos because people have different views and they're going to end up in different parts of the metagame right because constructors first so whatever can happen right um especially in that first draft but what i what i do think is you compared it to fi from mm-hmm. uprising and i think i compared it a little bit but i would say the difference right is that th- how hard it was to draft and play say icelander or even dromai the gap between how hard it is to so i think that gap was like a lot smaller than the gap of how hard it is to build and play Dash and Max versus Teclo. Teclo is a lot more forgiving in comparison to those decks. And at least in Uprising, like Icelander was like, you know, you, you couldn't 
you couldn't fuck it up too bad, to be honest. Like, you could draft kind of an average Icelander, but, like, the if you're one of two Icelander or one of one Icelander, your deck was always going to be good. And that's not the case if you're a oh, one yeah. of one max or True. one of one dash. Your deck can still be trash because the fact that these are mechanologist <laughs> cards, people are looking for the same cards. You really have to... I actually think this draft is one of the deepest draft experiences because... You have all this information, being cards or being mech, but you also have to decide where cards are going to go. So if you open your pack, you really have to understand what you think you're going to wheel, especially in packs two and three. It's so vital to how you build your deck. Because if you take the wrong card in the wrong spot, like our draft that we just did, where I drafted Dash, I was only Dash at the table. My deck felt like it was really good. It should have been insane. I made, I think, three, maybe four mispicks, and they ultimately really punished me. Ended up with like a significantly worse deck because of it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I do think that Dash uh, and Max are harder to build and debatably harder to play than Icelander. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that Teclo Mirrors are very hard to play and that uh, bad players will just lose super, super often. So Teclo Mirrors are they're pretty consistent. The game plans are relatively uh, static, not very dynamic. But they have this like weird wild card to just like high roll the living shit out mm -hmm. of the other player by getting the evos out earlier. So it's like we play this super consistent 35 to 40 card fatigue based card economy matchup, um, you know, primarily based on the weapon and just outvaluing your opponent on any sort of quantitative value, right? So like cards that are zero for three, those cards suck ass. They're so bad, like the red zero for threes. Mm -hmm. So you're, you can get yellow X for fours or yellow X for fives, and they're infinitely better because you're trading one card for two cards. That's, so That's the dynamic is how many cards can I, you know, I have to two for one you, but this is flush and blood. We're taking like the heuristics from other game and applying them flush and blood. But then... Outside of that whole, you know, the, the main game, there's this sub game where you actually just high roll your opponent with Evos and you get out ahead of them. And it's mm -hmm. it's super interesting because of that, where it's like it is one of the most skill testing and skill expressive formats I've ever seen. But it also has that oddball in it. I actually think it's harder to high roll on Dash and Max than it is on a Teclo in like a Teclo mirror or well, something yeah, like that. Because you have cards that say like two card eight, two card nine, like or two card seven and absolutely decimate you. And you if you can just drop evos early like it's so hard to brick on teclo whereas it's so much easier to brick on and that's why the that's why i think the deck building and the play in max and dash is so much harder and there is part of me that's sitting there going you know this weekend should i just be forcing teclo because it's going to give me an easier time it's 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 honestly really it's a yeah. it's a hard i'll be you know i'll be open about that it's a really hard spot to be in i think i think for you because you feel relatively comfortable on dash or max you should probably err on the side of them because i haven't done any drops though yeah but to be fair <laughs> like in it the last world championships championships forcing five was like it was a meme to be it was a meme but some players were serious about it and some players did it yeah, and yeah. saw success with it but it wasn't like the theory in this format, legitimately, there are many, many, many high-level players that think it is objectively correct to just force buy and not look Teclo, at anything yeah. else. Yeah, sorry, just force <laughs> Teclo and not look at anything else in the pack. So yeah. you're basically left with like five dead items um, and you don't actually get a 40-card deck. Yeah. That is a legitimate theory. And I think you get a lot of edge if you believe that you can get anywhere close to that with the other heroes. Because I know, I know without a shadow of a doubt that in... The, in a lot of those pods, there will people there will be people that are actively avoiding those other heroes and will not even look at the cards that, yeah. that could be in them. This yeah, wheeling this format is pretty interesting. Um, it's because, so important. Yeah, so you were you were wheeling from the perspective of Dash in that last pod, but wheeling from the perspective of Teclo is is fascinating because it just kind of doesn't really happen, right? Like you want the exact same cards that some other people do. So like, you have to work that out, though. I know you have so. to know how many of each hero is in the pod. Like by pack two, you know, base you should know mm -hmm. if you've done this draft enough times how many of each hero there are because there are signals. There's really key cards. You might be off by one, but you'll know how many Teclos there are. So say you're one of five Teclo, you look at the pack, you go, okay, these the four cards that are going to be taken and then you make a decision like sometimes you can actually force wheel a card because it's like if you know that people are really low on blues from pack one because there were a lot of blues coming around in pack one you can actually take the blue and wheel like an evo and that happens a lot like that, that that can't happen what i what i think is interesting is that i mean the reason why i think it's hard to wheel as well is i think that actually um there's a lot of cards that both teclo dash and max want uh Zero for uh, blues the block for three, right? Like those, I feel like those are wanted by all of the heroes. Also, these like big red attacks, so things like junkyard dog, things like the whatever titanium or you know three for three seven, yeah. um, just like these good on rate cards, big Berthas. Like these cards, I feel like are wanted. They're not, you know, like Dash is looked Dash is looked at as his item deck, and then you know maybe Max differentiates because it actually can utilize the pumps a little bit, and we can talk about that if that's the correct or not correct way to build it. You know, where there are some cards that seem specific to the heroes, but outside of that, there are 
I do believe that there are cards that every single hero wants, um, mostly being, you know, the reds that trade two for one on cards, the blues that block for three, and then there's just these yellow bananas, which is kind of the meme where you, you know, you wheel on the pack late and it's all these borderline un- unplayable cards. So I think I like 90% agree with you. You saw my deck. Yeah. just drafted. That's how I, we don't need to, you know, I might just keep some of my secrets for the weekend a little bit, but that's how I'd like to draft Dash a lot. How many of the uh, two for sevens are in my deck though? I don't remember because I was I was surprised at how many of some other cards were in there. Uh, because <laughs> so, I, I drafted a deck that was actually quite similar, but yeah. in max. And yeah, the block value of my deck definitely killed me. <laughs> like, I, well, that's different. I think I think Max gets more punished by that. Look, I, I had too many. I, I took some wrong picks. I had too many items in my deck. But regardless of that, I do think that like there is this kind of like I like to use the bell curve before, but I almost see it as like there's there's almost like two two bell curves. Well, I was gonna say like two kind of like stacks next to each other yeah. with levels in them. So there's level one, two, and three in all these stacks, right? And some people are living in one stack and some people are living in the other. And it's not clear which one is like the who's, real one yeah, and which coping? one's the fake one. Yeah, who's, <laughs> That's how I feel. Who's hitting the bong of copium? Because one it's one of them. But but what I actually think, the more I draft this format, is that like no none of them are real. It's all contextual to the people at your pod. Yeah. There's and only, that's the hard thing. There's only a few things that I think are objective truths or even close or to that. as well. Yeah. Well, I would say there's a couple things I think are objective truths in the right, I think that the floor on Teclo is higher than the other heroes. And I, I think agree. the other heroes have, like, they have, there can be powerful decks, but if their first cycle goes the wrong way, they have more cards in their deck that are liable to be clumped up in a way that they yeah. can lose games that they shouldn't be losing to players that they shouldn't be losing to, mm-hmm. which is kind of similar to Uprising in a sense, right? Yeah. Five's floor is very low. So, you, the same. so what you do, I think sometimes when you pick Dash IO and Max, you take on an inherent risk in your deck where it's like, should you just force Teclo and then try to play on the same plane of your other opponents? Like, why take the risk mm-hmm. if the floor of Teclo was high enough to win your pot anyway? Why take this increased variance by having zero block cards or having, you know, a more setup-based deck in the form of Max? I think that that's, for me, that's like the only objective truth that I understand about this format is that Teclo is basically a more consistent choice and the other heroes can be powerful, but they come with an inherent risk, which is the first cycle of your deck and zero blocks or um, just a more clunky deck, I think, in the form of Max. Yeah, I don't disagree. I I just think it's a metagame. And this is kind of the conundrum, I think, that everyone's going to face who's in a similar position to me where they think that forcing Teclo is a great strategy, but they also think that there's a lot of viability in in the two other heroes with the right builds of the deck, especially if they put time into it. But the problem is, right, is if I sit down to draft, and I look around at my table and I go, okay, I don't know what to expect from this table. And I decide that, you know, I open a pack with, let's say, two or three Evos in it. And I decide to take a non-Evo card and ship the Evos. How do I know that there's going to be five or six Evos, that, like five or six Tickler bosses at that table? Because I live in fear mm-hmm. that I go, I, I pick up on Dash or Max and I end up at a pod with four Tickler yeah, sure. I would much rather be the fourth Tickler Bossin than, than a Dash yes. or a Max. Basically. 100%, so, right? Like you take the risk when you pick that hero that other people hop into it, where if you if you pick Teclo and there's seven Teclos, you're probably still in an okay position. It's not fantastic. Yeah, I don't want to be there. You but. T- you t- no, but you take a variance in terms of like where your seat is and your card yeah. quality, but it's actually not terrible. Where if you are one of three Dash or one of... You know, three or four max, like it can be absolutely devastating. I just, I it's hard for me to see Teclo, like a Teclo four strategy, really train wreck unless you just get. I guess. I mean, maybe it's unlucky. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe it's you're picking incorrectly. You can be in the middle. So you can be in the. You can have five Teclo bosses and you be in the middle of Teclo boss, and that's a pretty bad spot to be in. Because the other thing as well, you get super paid off if you're a Teclo boss and that's to the left of a non Teclo boss. Yeah. That's that's where you really want to be. Um, and if you're one of five, but you're you're being fed by a dash or a max, like often you're you're feeling really good. And if you've got one like either side of you is not Ticklebossen, it's great. Yeah, this is a super interesting format because it is both it's a meta game. It is, well, it, yeah, it is both solved and potentially very, very, very unsolved at the same time. Yeah. Um, the more I play it, the more I don't know. Like it's like I, I feel like I understand it, but at the same time, you just have to doubt yourself. Because, you know, like, that's what the top of the bell curve is, is right? Max and Dash can win pods. Because they do. They do sometimes they win do. pods. Yeah, of course they do. But does that mean they're good? Uh, <laughs> like, or the, it's not even that they're good. Is it the correct Yeah, is it draft? correct? It's yeah. it's hard to force anything in a, in a game like Flesh and Blood, to be honest. It just seems like such a bad strategy. Um, but it pays off a lot. So You see it pay off more so than much, it should. So, so much. If you're results-oriented, I mean, I think you're a forced Teclo gamer, to be yeah. honest. Uh, yeah, too many people have gotten away with that strategy so far in pods that I've been in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
All right. Well, yeah. I also think the other thing is that you just not only at the mercy sometimes of your deck when you're in those other two heroes, but you're the mercy of your play. Like your play patterns are a lot harder. There's one other thing I want to say. If there's people that are going to the World Championship that haven't drafted it in pods that consist of players that might be at day two or the top eight of World Championship, I think that the draft experience is much different. Much, much, much different. Like it is. It feels. Oh God, it just feels disgusting to be in a in a in a pod where people have the same heuristics, understand the same macro strategy, and want the same exact cards as you. Because you don't get I don't know. It's pretty quickly when the pack dries up and you're just getting garbage. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean I spent last I didn't do very well in Melbourne as we know, but I got the chance to do a lot of drafts and uh, at one point I was being fed by a national champion a pro tour champion a national champion and another national champion it's pretty frustrating it was it was hard it was hard yeah it was a bit bananas yep it is it is very bananas those yellows come quick um those two blocks of zero blocks they come quick um every pick matters so much you you have no free picks you can't it's so hard to hitch yes let's uh let's move on talk about class constructed and i want to lead in with our predictions from last week yep. because I don't know about you Brendan but I've got I got some amendments to make because I only have one amendment to make <laughs> okay, okay well we're going to talk about the full meta anyway and okay. kind of like we'll talk about tears power we'll talk about meta we'll talk about expectations for the weekend as well so recapping last week um, you had so if for those who maybe missed the, end of the pod last week we went and did our predictions for top three most played heroes at the uh, event at World Championship this weekend. We've actually done it two weeks in a row. So in two weeks ago, not last week, but two weeks ago, you had said Dromai, Bravo, Icelander. I said Dromai, Bravo, Icelander. Yep. Um, but I thought Bravo and Icelander could swap around. So that's interesting. Yeah. Last week. We were probably right. <laughs> <laughs> we metagamed ourselves. Yeah. Last week, you said Dromai, Bravo, Dash, IO. <clears throat> Get ready yeah. for this one. I said Dromai Katsu Azalea. I was pretty surprised when you said that. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to take it back. Okay. I thought... So, okay, let me explain myself first and I'll, I'll hand it over to you. But I thought that the meta was starting to shift a little bit. I thought people were starting to realize that um, Bravo as powerful or as like kind of maybe well positioned as it is people were adapting their strategies and people were starting to look at decks that were actually really favored into Bravo. I thought Icelander was really starting to trend but people wouldn't actually play it. Like people were worried yeah, about Icelander yeah. but people weren't going to play it. I now think what's actually going to happen is people are going to play Icelander, but people are really going to play Bravo and people are going to jump off decks that um, have a tough time into into Bravo and or basically decks that don't have good matchups, right? The, their matchups might be okay and they can yeah. win. So decks like Azalea and Katsu, like yes, they can beat Dromai, they can beat Bravo, they can beat Icelander. Well, maybe not Icelander for Katsu, but like how good is your matchup? Why would you play that deck? Like, right. it's, it's, what's the reason to play the in, deck? In, in, the, in the triangle meta that exists in the Dromai, Icelander, Bravo paradigm, why would you bring an azalea if you bring an azalea you bring a console it feels like you are going to roll the dice with gem to an extent yeah because like you're going to have a good matchup and you're going to have a pretty freaking bad matchup in two decks being between bravo uh bravo and dromai they're probably going to split they might split the spot for the most played deck i think like, so we can talk about that yeah. yeah i mean it might be straight down the middle for most played deck i don't know which one will be i think dromai is fundamentally more powerful and bravo is yeah. is not close to it and is much more exploitable that more being said though. bravo is infinitely easier to play infinitely. and more yes and it is more consistent what, the one thing i learned through testing is that bravo is a low powered deck but it is the it is the most consistent deck where all like yeah. even Dromai can feel janky and like clunky. 100%. Yeah. And uh that that's so Dash IO, clunky janky, Dromai clunky janky, and then Icelander also consistent, but um has a harder time into Dromai Tome. Uh Icelander players like the best Icelander players in the world are very split on like the Dromai matchup. And if it's better, if it's worse, now the tome is a thing because they have left us blues. Regardless, um it's still not great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think I, it's great. I don't I don't think it's great, but uh, yeah, I mean... So the way you see it, there's a triangle, and that triangle is Dromai beats, beats Icelander. Beats Icelander. Yep, beats Icelander. Icelander beats Bravo. Yep. So does Bravo beat Dromai? No, Dromai beats Bravo. That's why Dromai's so, the best pick. <laughs> so, so, but this is the... But in theory, this is the, the triangle that people are seeing, right? Is that yeah, a yeah. lot of people... Because a lot of people's thoughts are... Dromai beats Icelander, Icelander beats Bravo, Bravo beats Dromai. So that's mm-hmm. the triangle that you're alluding to. But you're saying you actually think that it's 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 not a it's not an equilateral triangle. There's yeah. a there's a pick yeah. up there. There's Dromai, an there. He's he's pushing down on those two. You think it's the Bravo cope, and it <laughs> which is I, what which is what we thought. Which yeah. is you know what I was kind of alluding to last week. But actually, I've kind of changed my tune a little bit um, from things I've been hearing, and I think Bravo sounds like people are going to play it, and it, it is potentially. People are feeling good about the matchup in Jeremiah. 
Yeah, which I think is completely wrong. Like I spent most of my time in Barcelona testing, playing Bravo. Like I was playing the Bravo side. Um, and even if you're like, oh, Brendan, oh well, that's why. Yeah, you're like, Brendan, <laughs> Brendan obviously sucks at Bravo. He's, no, we had other people playing Bravo as well. Some of the best players in the world. And we tried multiple strategies. Like there's going to be people like, oh, why don't you just go aggro? It's like, yeah, we tried that. <laughs> Have you tried this package? Yeah, we tried that. Why don't you just fatigue it? Yep, we tried that too. Um, you can win. I've only seen some of the best flesh and blood players I've ever seen in my life win with, either, well, with the fatigue strategy. I think it's pretty rough. You can try it. Good luck to you. Um, if you're the Dromai needs to be prepared, you do put the impetus on the Dromai to win the game. Uh, it's much easier for you to win the game. Um, and then same you don't thing, win the game, they lose the game. Yeah, game. same thing with the aggressive. The aggressive is like if the Dromai's teched for it, they have uh, the six defense reactions plus they have sand cover because sand cover you can play now with Tom. Sand cover is a playable card. I don't. Yeah, think it, it is. But Dromai can just not draw tomes in the first couple turns. True, and you get pretty crushed. That's been my experience anyway. From so yeah, I I think that the for me the biggest variance with Bravo versus Dromai and the aggressive version of Bravo is that Dromai doesn't draw the relevant uh, defense reactions on the first cycle before they start. Mm -hmm. And then like you know, clump and, or whatever. And then Bravo's doing the opposite, where Bravo's rolling hand to hand to hand. Yeah. Um, even then, I, I mean, I think the Bravo is a total dog. But again, so the layer two of this is that Dromai, the Dromai deck is not teched for it. The Dromai deck is not ready for the Bravo. They don't have the relevant defense reactions. They may be cut ghostly touch, which I think is, is crazy. Yeah, um, it isn't, in it, it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. Uh, I don't know why people do it. Like the Dromai deck has, and you know, Bravo players are playing like AB1. Do you think that's correct? Arcane Barrier uh, 1? It depends on what strategy they're on. Yeah, I think it just gives the Dromai like a free, a free end game win condition, which you could easily deny by giving up three block with a piece of equipment um yeah i mean jermai has so many ways to win the game they have ghostly touch um they have like of course the burn them all if they tumble tie wear your boots and they can remember that remembrance that back uh they have you know the passing garage goes with the ghostly touch of course but they can add the mage the mage masters in yeah. you have to try to play something like a staunch response on second cycle to block the ghostly Ooh. touch yeah no, no. yeah but then they thumai you that's what i'm saying it's like then they thumai yeah, you and you can't you can't block them it's not good i look this I, is, I mean you think fatigue is terrible i, know. I think fatigue that, is that, that's that's the fatigue strategy is where i think fatigue is a buy for like yeah. having played I would say Bravo versus Dromai is probably the matchup I've played the most from both sides yeah. since since I got onto Dromai, and I I think the like I think with the setup that I played in Melbourne, I think fatigue is just like it, it's it's just a buy is the wrong term, but it's so favorable for you. It has to line up so well for the Bravo to play so well, and it has to line up so well for you for them and not for Dromai. On the aggressive side, though, I think that is a much more viable strategy because I think you have play as the Bravo player to set up really important hands plus set up a second cycle. But at the same time, you are more susceptible to your deck just not giving you the cards when you need them. So yeah, I don't even know it's giving you the cards when you need. Them. Like you just kind of need. It feels like Bravo needs the nut draw to win with the aggressive strategy. I think that they need to. They don't have to draw. They don't have to draw average. They don't have to draw good. I think they have to draw great. And then Jermai okay. also at the same time has to draw maybe a bit below average. Well, we can agree to disagree on that one because that's not been my experience. But this is great. This is the good thing. Right? I mean, you yeah, have different experiences, right? So I also think so. The main reason why Bravo sucks because I think it has a virtual auto loss in Icelander. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I don't disagree with you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if anybody's played the Bravo side of that, it's whole shit. Let's it's expand the metagame a little bit. So yeah. I want to. So let's move through. So I think we're in agreement here. We think that the triangle is going to be the top three played decks, right? We've come back around. We think it's probably going to be Bravo, Dromai, somewhere first or second, and then Icelander third most played. Yeah. And um, just to go back to last week's picks, because I, I guess you said go, going outside of this triangle now, the reason why I've taken Dash IO off that list is I think that Bravo is in contention to be the most played deck. And Bravo is not a good matchup for Dash. Iceland is not a particularly great matchup either. For I, Dash IO, yeah. Yeah, like IO is is really powerful, but it's so susceptible to people knowing how to play it against it now. And people yeah. have had time <laughs> now that you know Tom busted out the list at um, at Melbourne and showed everyone, you know, what it can do. And it is a very skill intensive deck, I think. So people might be playing and be like, This deck is trash. I definitely did it. Um, and I think you do have to understand it, but fundamentally, once you do understand it, playing against it is a lot easier. You can exploit its weaknesses. Okay, so triangles there, right? We mm -hmm. think that's somewhere my next question to you then because we'll expand beyond this is what percentage of the metagame this weekend do you think the triangle represents the three decks because this is when we start to get into some things about why people are picking decks I think yeah it's hard for me to say I'm just oh, it's weird I'm actually just like not very good with those kind of numbers to be honest it's like I can give you I can give you yeah, some give like, me some past one give me so some past ones when we looked at worlds last time uh, I think fire was the most played and it was 20% for instance and then yep. um, it was 
uh ultim i think at like 15 percent. so having a deck more than 20 percent is is pretty rare it's like and that's it's like lightning briar right yeah above you're, 20 20 you're getting into 25 percent territory yeah. there but yeah that, that's kind of where you're looking right so that those three decks combined realistically what do you actually think they could be is 40 percent like a like a little bit above average let's, uh, let's take a look so fire ultim and briar last time were about at worlds were about 55 percent in the mid game okay so the top three would say on average makes up about 50 percent i think that that could be that could totally be the case for this metagame i think in i think, I think in it's this, hard to be more to be honest yeah well in this metagame specifically i feel like the triangle is very it's defined smaller. i mean we had oh, we had well i feel like we had some wrenches thrown in it with dash io yeah. um with azalea and then bravo like really surging back into the meta but that's based off said, pittsburgh last weekend right yeah so exactly four copies in the top eight i think yeah exactly yeah. and so now going into this tournament i just I haven't really met anybody, and I feel like most people come to the conclusion that the top three decks are Bravo Dramat Icelander, with Icelander maybe being the one that people are a bit ignorant about, but I'll tell you that Icelander players are now hopping back onto that deck because, I mean, the Bravo matchup is so free. Can like, I, it's so free. Can I throw some... So I don't disagree with you. I think probably those three will be somewhere around 50%, right? Mm-hmm. Is Bravo the Phantom deck? Because no. I don't know a lot of people playing Bravo. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know everybody talks about Bravo. Right. But, uh, right. I <laughs> yeah, agree. Like, people are like, people, it could be the most played deck. could be the most played deck. People are we gonna it. Are we going to get into the cycle where everyone's like kind of jumping sure. off of it? I know, and it's like yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Um, well, I think that the reason people are hopping off of it is because it's bad. Um, I, I really do. <laughs> <laughs> this is this so come full circle. This is so yeah, funny. I th- this well, is so Brendan. If Hayden, yeah, Hayden's in the in the Discord. And I mean, I was, I was actually suggesting that we consider Bravo because... All of these other decks, other than Icelander, who we thought had a very bad matchup in Jermai, they're super clunky decks. And it's just like, just do the most consistent thing, and it's it's powerful enough at this point. Did you actually suggest point. that? I somewhat suggested I haven't. It. I actually, I dropped out of the, the Discord. Okay, uh, well, <laughs> I wasn't on it for too long, because I soon then realized that it, like the some of the things Jermai is doing are just too powerful, and then having an auto-loss into what is potentially the third most popular deck in the form of Icelander. It's like, if you're not beating Jermai, and you're auto-losing into the, the deck that's represented right behind you... Um, you're just playing a bad deck. And if you're thinking you're bringing Bravo to beat up on Azalea or beat up on Katsu, you're picking you're you're picking a deck for the wrong metagame. Just period. Like you shouldn't be targeting those right. decks. Okay, so this is this is where I think we start to get into like what are the decks outside of it look like and why are people choosing things. So I think people the other kind of the big conversation around Bravo, obviously people believe that it's got a good drama matchup, right? Which we can we've discussed that, we can move on, right? But people also go, okay, I beat random stuff. I beat Azalea's. I'm yeah. good into the cards. Dash IO, great matchup for me. So if you're thinking this triangle is smaller than it could have been in other formats, you know, Icelander, yeah, maybe people are going to play it. Maybe they're not. Like people, Icelander's been a little more under the radar, right? Yeah, it has, for people sure. People have been a little bit down on it, right? Because of how the drama being number one, right? So if people think, you know, if you're sitting there being like, bravo, okay, I just need to avoid the 10% of Icelanders. But if I think I'll get a good drama matchup, I, I like my mirror, I like my Azalea, Katsu, Dash, IO matchup. All of a sudden, 80% of the meta sounds great to me. Sure, I, I think so. And that that's where it comes down to. That's why people in, are choosing In an opinion where it's like, sure. I think all of those people, like the people who are bringing jo- uh, bravo with the thesis that they have a positive matchup into Dromai and there's, you know, it's different iterations of Dromai. I think the deck list is pretty tight, but there's key cards to get added in the last few slots. I think they're wrong. I think that Dromai has a good matchup into them. And I think Dromais are happy. They're happy to pair into these Bravos. Yeah. I think that for me, that's where the triangle breaks. Usually there is a triangle and you're making you're making like some interesting decisions when you're picking your deck. For me, Dromai is less of an interesting decision because I think you have a good matchup into Brom uh into Bravo, a decent Bromai. matchup. Yeah, Bromai. <laughs> a good hero name. And you definitely have a good matchup into or pretty much definitely have a good matchup in the Icelander. That being said, I do think that Dromai has the biggest target on its back. So if yep. there's going to be rogue decks that show up, like these Dark Horse decks, they're probably going to be decks that are tech to be Dromai, right? I don't think anybody's showing up with a deck, you know, some weird B tier, C tier deck where they're like, this deck beats Bravo because the top decks beat Bravo. But they might show up with decks that are specifically designed to be Dromai, like like we saw with Reinar, <laughs> you know, things like that. Wow. So I do think that... Um, what about the deck I played against uh, Melbourne? Yeah. 46 popper deck. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So like the, da- the dash... The unwinnable matchup. The dash fatigue, yeah. So I think the Dromai probably has the biggest targets on his back. So that's relevant uh, to an extent. Yeah. 
Okay, so that's when we get out to it, right? That's when you start to go. So we think the triangle's the top three play deck. We reckon three decks. We reckon around 45, 55%, mm-hmm. um, somewhere around there. And then I guess the question becomes like, what are the decks under that? So like, is it the Azaleas? Is, is it the Katsus, the Fires of the World? Like, I mean, is it the Azuri won Melbourne. What about Azuri? Yeah, Lexi's gone now though. Its best matchup is gone. <laughs> I know. Um, I think even like people are doing that with like, what about Max Nitro made top eight? It's like yeah. these things... I don't think they're going to materialize in the world championship. And you're right. Ozuri lost one of its best matchups um, as well. What do you see as, what do you see as, I mean, I know, I think I know what you see, right? You're thinking about Katsu, you're thinking about Azaleo. How represented do you think those decks will be? I, I think, you know, it's going to be hard to be more than 10%. What about Reiner? I just think people will test Reiner. And I think the best players will test it and realize that you can lose to yourself and the deck fundamentally isn't powerful enough. And you you might be good against... They'll do the same thing we're looking at. 50% of the meta is the triangle. Maybe I've got a good matchup into most of the triangle, though Bravo is not that easy um, and Iceland is not that easy. Dromai is basically close to a free win. Um, but then you're sat there being like, fuck, now I've got to think about Fi, Katsu, terrible matchups. Yep. Um, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, Azalea, not particularly great matchup. All of a sudden you might be like, okay, if I, I think that's going to be 10% each, 30% of the meta, and then I don't even love my Bravo matchup, I'm at 50%. I just think top players will just shelve Reinar. So I think Reinar is going to be like number six or seven play. I think people will decide to play it. I think this is the best time to play Reinar if you want to play Reinar, <laughs> but it's still not great in my opinion. I think you're going to be around six or seven. So I think the next three top decks, honestly, I think they're going to be aggro decks that have that ask a question. Azalea is really powerful, but it's, it's just the bed. It's the yeah. problem with Azalea. It that's, loses to it's itself. Like, it's and like the Bravo matchup blood. is not good. Dude, that, that, that describes flesh and blood right now. There are there are powerful decks high. that just consistently that that not consistently but can occasionally shit the bed and then there's just these decks that are consistent and powerful. I don't I don't know if Jeremiah's consistent. I guess it, it is. is. It used to be. It isn't now. Yeah, I would say it's not. It's a bit janky. But that is just that really defines flesh and blood. Where there's yeah. like there are these other powerful decks that exist that you can play, but you have like those decks need to run hot. Need to run hot, and they can totally lose themselves. Yeah. So I I think. That the the next three days. So as I think Azalea, as particularly if you think that Bravo is this phantom deck that people aren't are gonna hop off, I think Azalea is actually a really oh, a yeah. really good choice. That's, to be honest. So that's what you meant by Phantom Deck. That's really interesting. So I think Bravo still ha- is possible to be the most played deck. I, I just think the, co- the copium is high, bro. Did you know you know when like you know like pre-elections, right? And they're running the polls, right? And yeah. they're like, hey, these are the polls, and all of a sudden you get to election night and the opposition just slams the favorite. Yeah, you know? but like that's that's the thing, is like it actually it, it if we look at past tournaments, even tier four tournaments, it usually goes in the favor of the bad easy deck, which we can say Bravo is. I mean, we're going to use it. We're going to we're going <laughs> to label can. we're going to label him like that right now. Ends up being the one that people play. They don't go to the next layer. I think the next layer would be hopping off Bravo. People actually tested the matchup. They come to similar conclusions. Yeah, um, and they hop off of it. I think that the opposite will happen where people. Whether they figured something out that we haven't, I have to add that caveat, or just out of pure ignorance, decide to play a deck like Bravo. I think Bravo might be the most played deck at the World Championship. Would not surprise me at all. Or it splits yeah. with Dramai. And I think the Dramai, and I think that Bravo is not not well positioned. And I, the Bravo list is freaking tight. Yeah, like there is, it's, like you immediately have to, like what, like 60, 70% of that deck is wow. just like automatically yeah, i think like, so there are some cards that i think actually people shouldn't be playing which i messaged you guys about yeah asking you about some questions which i was surprised that i just don't know how many blues you can swap around in that deck i mean i've seen some wacky yeah lists. it's more the reds i think yeah um okay so i guess all that said really what i think is that the next three decks and i i can't put them in an order but i think is going to be azalea dash inventor extraordinaire yeah 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 that's one we didn't even talk about and a katsu or we can talk about it in a second or and a katsu or a fire Ninja yeah. combined, I would say. I'd be surprised if Dash Aventor Chardonnay was highly represented. It just tends to be extremely lowly represented, but performs well. Um, and obviously, like Merrick was playing it on stream, and now I think people are aware of that deck. Um, it's just a deck that I'm not. I don't have a ton of exposure to. I do. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this might surprise you, but if you look back at Worlds, you look back at um, PT Lille, yeah, you look back at uh, Baltimore List, so but. Um, PT New Jersey even Dash is always around the fifth or sixth most played deck. Mm. It just always is. It is just it just because it can do everything. It can be super consistent and it has this aggro game plan and it has this more like item based kind of you know slower game plan. And I think that's why people will always always play it. It's a deck that I've been super high on for this event for that reason. And I, I think a lot of people will feel the same way. So I think that Dash is going to be in the top six most played deck. I think it's going to be in that next. Three I think block. that's fair. Like top six for sure. 
Um, like you said, so with that like dichotomy of game plans as well, that that's one of the things Bravo has as an advantage, by the way, when facing Jermai. Because a Jermai player is faced with two game plans that are vastly different, mm-hmm. and both is very powerful in the current meta. Like They can go very aggressive very fast. They could also be probably... Maybe not the most powerful, but definitely one of the most powerful fatigue decks in the game. So the Bravo, the, no, the uh, the Bravo against oh, the sure. yeah, So they're representing yeah, yeah. two game plans that are vastly different. Yeah, I think that's, that's one of challenge. the things that's harder about that matchup. Yeah, I mean, I, I regaled the story after Taipei, right? But round three, I peer into Bravo. I expect the Bravo to be fatigued because that's what everyone at the time was doing. And mm. the Bravo presents a deck that has E Strike, you know, triple yep. pummel, triple CNC, you know, zealous out muscle. Like it's just this pure aggro deck and i just get absolutely smashed because i just have the wrong cards in my deck and i just get caught with bad cards my biggest conclusion from this entire these past three days uh or four days doesn't it doesn't sound like a lot but it is is that pummel is like a bad card i think if you don't tunic pummel you just like it's not good in the current but you always tunic pummel not these these brothers are playing freaking uh like tectonic plating and they no, have pummels on their deck some of them are some mm. of them. I've seen it. Then they should I think have pummels in the deck. Uh, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think if you, I think if you cast a pummel via pitching a card, you're like, in, it's so bad. Yeah. And pummel is so clunky when you run Rousey Ancients and Zealous Belting and like all these other cards that are conditional on. No, it's insane with Zealous too. You just pummel the Zealous. Yeah, I guess you. But then you need the tunic, right? So that's what we're talking. Yes, but about. you always tunic. Yeah, <laughs> it, it it decreases your threshold for having meeting the sort of the requirements of zealous or rouse which yeah. i think is harsh. i think as a dromai though that's what the indicator is when your opponent flips their chest piece if they flip tunic you can expect them to be aggro if they flip tectonic plane you can expect them to be either aggressive with a, a, a pivot to fatigue or just fatigue yeah it's also interesting is when you're playing the aggro matchup as the bravo player how important it can be to have access to the seismic search token to be able to dominate those crippling crushes or, or just actually just two card three card crippling crush right so play crippling yeah 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 and just or you just know three, presenting damage. three card red disable three card red thunderquake you know whatever just present damage and just quick yeah i know but uh, disabled but that is dude that's why i think that's why disable is pretty hot and i'm surprised people aren't playing that card yeah i uh the more i played the more i was like i kind of wanted the thunderquakes to be honest um and the more i came off of like the go wide strategy i just wanted the raw damage sometimes yeah. it's weird the whole bravo the bravo matchup in the Jeremiah is actually really it has a lot of depth and i know we <laughs> i know it does, i it does. i i definitely don't give it enough credit for that and i just say it's you know bravo sucks but i played a lot of it and there's there's definitely a lot of thought you can put it i think that my issue with it is that when you get when you come out of that tunnel, you know, of trying to figure out the drone line matchup, what you end up with is that it's not a good matchup for you. Okay, I'm gonna put on record that I disagree with Brendan. So, <laughs> but this is good. I, I, you know, one of us is gonna be proven right at the end of the weekend, right? Well, I don't know if he, that's actually not true because we're not, you know, we're not there playing those two decks, right? I don't so know if it's, it's super to... favorable for you because you not only do you have to. Uh, disagree with me on Bravo's fundamental matchup into Jeremiah, but you also have to put your trust in Bravo players. People that actively chose to play But Bravo. I will say, I will say that I, I don't feel the same strength on this topic mm-hmm. as you do. But um, I think this topic really sets the stage for the whole entire uh, world championship metagame, to be honest. I think that it's more of a question of Bravo, Bravo Jeremiah. Uh, than it is like any of the other questions we could be asking about like you know Iceland is the third most played deck these other rogue aggro decks or you know spicy decks anything I think that the biggest question that people are asking as they look at the metagame is Bravo v Dromai because it, if you act if, it, if you don't think that Bravo is a favorable matchup in the Dromai there is actually no reason to play Bravo I agree I agree I agree I think I feel a little bit differently I'm hoping that we're going to see something a little bit different than, than that dichotomy but like Kano I mean, Kano is always in the mix, right? That's the thing. <laughs> we were playing some Kano earlier. Um, God, I mean, it's just, you just have to get, like, against Droma, okay. it's just not great, to be honest. I don't know. Droma just has, like, infinite things to just yeah, hose yeah. you. Tome makes it so. Dude, okay, this is, this is, this is the, this was for me the nail in the coffin for the, the Droma Kano conversation is that uh, people probably know who Farhad is. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. came second at Australian Nationals. I lost slash punted to him. And I definitely lost him. He played very, he played very he's one of the best Kano players, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I saw him at Melbourne and he was at a table next to me and I did the biggest double take when I saw Azuri sitting yeah. in front of him. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen the man play anything other when than When you Kano. see Alexander Vore, when you see Peter Budensek, all those people not playing Kano, I mean, LSS have gotten to the state where they've printed too much hate. Like, there is just so much... It's so incidental. There's so much hate 
that is just inherently indexed for Kano. Mm -hmm. So even if you have a deck like Dromai that is fundamentally built in a way that Kano should absolutely be able to exploit, right? Where it's like, what if we have almost zero blues in our deck and don't have access to Arcane Barrier? Wouldn't that be bad? Nope. <laughs> sand cover, baby. Yeah, sand cover, Aether Ashwings give you Arcane Barrier, uh, and just Thamai, like Jesus Christ. It's too much. Um, you have to get lucky. We were playing a lot of, we were playing, not a lot. We played a bit of Kano because in this testing house there was Alexander Vore, Peter Budensek, Sasha Markov. <laughs> like, it was just so many Kano players. And um, yeah, it's just not very good, to be honest. I'm not, I mean, don't take my word for it. Every single one of those person might bring Kano on the day. Who knows? They're very volatile people. Uh, but yeah, it seems like a bad deck at this point. Yeah. All right. Last thing I want to talk about is we're at the World Championship. It's about national pride. Let's talk a little bit about regionality. And um, first, I guess the question I first of all have for you is we're in Europe. Worlds last year was in the US. So overwhelmingly, I think fifth, I think like 60% of the, the player base was from the US at World Championships. That's going to look a little bit different being in Europe this time around. Do you think that changes kind of the dynamic of the metagame at all or some of the considerations? I mean, we've PT Lil honestly didn't stray too far away from um, what we'd seen previously other than aggressive decks were more popular. Yep. I guess we came, we did PT Lille in a Briar dominated meta and we went to a Briar dominated region. So um, yeah, it was to be expected. I mean, I would pretty much expect the same thing in the United States with there's just going to be a lot of players that are, like the Europe is kind of known for bringing Bravo, right? Pablo mm -hmm. brought it to the tournament. They kind of set the stage for Bravo in this metagame um, or even in last metagame mm -hmm. with Lexi. They were bringing yeah. Bravo into those, into those metagames. Right. Like Europe was the one who did that first. Uh, so I guess it just reinforces my idea that Bravo might be the most played deck, even though it's one of the most, okay. it's one of the most poorly positioned decks. Yep. What about, um, I guess groups of players or, or countries or any specific players that you, you're obviously going to be on the, the casting side of things um, that you want to kind of draw attention to? I don't know. It's hard to say um, because we could go through the, the regionality of it. Like we've talked about probably you know, many times on this podcast and everybody's familiar with, but like you said, the European teams tend to congregate based off their country and they actually play together. Um, so you have like, you know, PT Baltimore, the Polish team all brought a Katsu deck and got destroyed <laughs> um, but they they tend to bring they tend to bring sort of like a regional based deck um, yep. outside of that I mean the people I have my eyes on are we're at the world championships so the people I have my eyes on are people like Pablo Pintor um, like Michael Hamilton and just like I, I don't know it's weird because the, U, the US has gotten a lot more battle hardens and a lot more competitive events mm -hmm. so in a lot of these there's like a new group of U.S. players since the World Championships that has been traveling to all these tournaments and has been winning these like these smaller regions. And I'm not saying that those make them more credible players, but they are getting more competitive reps, significantly yeah. more than the rest of the world. So, I think a lot of those players are a lot are a lot more live than they were at the previous World Championships. So, you know, Brody Spurlock, Michael Fang, uh, etc. I mean, kind of the whole. It's hard to say the Wolf Pack because it's its own country at this point. Continental US. <laughs> <laughs> What about uh, what about someone like a, a Simon Nielsen who's come over from? He's a former Magic Gathering World Champion. He's now the I think he's is he is he Danish Simon Nielsen. He's the Danish national champion. Uh, he's going to be at, at Worlds this weekend. You know, someone like him who's just a, an outstanding card game player. Could he you know could he make the conversion and, and become a, a, a Flesh and Blood World Champion? Yeah, absolutely. I think Flesh and Blood is one of those games where if we were going to name everybody that could possibly top eight <laughs> in the tournament, we would have a long list. Um, but you know, Simon Nielsen is very accomplished in both Flesh and Blood and of course very very accomplished in Magic the Gathering um, so an impressive player but the people that I really have my eyes on are the ones that have been extremely consistent, consistent in flesh and blood at the, at the tier 4 at the tier 4 level right? And, and we start to have players that have done that, that there's have, only a few though I so know. multiple top 8s and I want to make sure I don't forget so you've got Michael Hamilton we're talking PT top 8s here yeah. PT or World's top 8s so you've got Michael Hamilton Pablo Pintor Matt Folks. Mm -hmm. is there anyone else? that's top 8ed 2 there might I don't know I don't know it's hard to say because we have like there's so many other people that fall in the bracket that's right below that where they're both a calling champion and a PT top eight or, yes, yes, or yes, a national yes. champion and a PT yeah. top eight or, and I think Petang Liao for instance yes. is like someone that comes to mind who's done a, a lot more than people realize um, yeah I mean it's hard like I think I think you're gonna see some of those players obviously do well this weekend but you're gonna see some names that you don't recognize and you're gonna see some of these people that have been consistently putting up results that you don't know because they're not named players they haven't had the interviews this is one thing i'll say about flesh and blood is that we do not do player coverage well enough it is it is not particularly great it makes me a little bit sad i think there's so much room for improvement from lss and the coverage 
and I, I know you feel this way to a degree as well. That yeah, could I be don't think it's going to get any better. <laughs> no, I know. Unfortunately, um, pretty much all the. I mean, also, I'm happy to. But it's done here. through like it's done pretty through much. Creators, yeah, pretty much all the impetus on that uh, on the little that is done right now is done through the individual casters um, or ones that just happen to be content creators as well and that are already covering that. Yeah. There is no direction that is given from LSS or the production team. I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, we have a lot. We have a long ways to go in terms of like where. Magic is. Yeah, where magic is or just like our ceiling, uh, to be honest. But yeah, in terms of like narratives and actually like weaving an interesting story. I mean, we're at the World Championship, Hayden. I can't wait to watch the movie that was filmed at the previous World Championship. Remember seeing those big camera? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we, there's the tin film. Yeah, there, there's a long, there's a long way to go, and um, I, w- I wish so as well. It makes it makes coverage more interesting. It makes being a player more interesting. Um, and right now, like we just absolutely we we don't have that, which is. Which is unfortunate, but maybe it'll get better in the future. I want to throw a couple of narratives out there because a lot of our listeners are going to be, this is going to drop hopefully just the day, first day of the Worlds or just before. Yeah. So I want to drop a few narratives out there for you to keep an eye on. Uh, first one I'm going to drop is a little bit of a, a self-plug for uh, Team PCG Pass. Mm-hmm. I think we've got an awesome group of five players competing at the, at the World Championship. So you've got someone with, did, I put this on his uh, his player card because this is insane. Oh, you wrote, did you write the copy for all that? Yeah. Uh, I was wondering who that was. <laughs> <laughs> you should see your one that uh, oh, shit. That, that's, that's, that Howling Minds has provided for us. He provided me two for you. Oh, uh, <laughs> but nine calling top eights. Matt Rogers has. I know, I know. That's it's, insane. It's crazy. So we've got Matt Rogers. You've got Yuha Sanalampe, who's coming off the back of top eight in the last tier four event yep. at, at Baltimore. Uh, Nick Butcher, who has won a calling this year already and made the finals of another calling already this year, uh, which is insane. Um, you've got Tarek Patel, who just narrowly missed top eight at Baltimore, two national championships. Uh, and you've got calling, I think he won no he won he top it two callings as well yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you've got me so I snuck in there somehow but <laughs> hey I've top edited the Nationals in a calling this year yep. that's about it um, but also the other I want to I want to shout out as well um, is Tom Dowling who made the finals of the calling Melbourne two weeks ago booked his ticket two days later after he got that PTI cashed in the PTI that he got from coming second after going 14-0 to losing the finals with Dash IO and he's going to be here this weekend so that's an exciting narrative. Well, I'm interested to see what Decky lands up on uh, because Bravo is Bravo's here. I mean, yeah, I mean those are those are some good narratives to be honest. <laughs> you like those ones? Yeah, I can't wait to see that 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 generous calling card that you've made for me. <laughs> All right, uh, anything to add before we take it out? No, I don't think so. I mean, you pumped for the weekend? I don't know. I'm so fried after this week <laughs> to be honest. Like, I don't know. It's a, uh, you know, I've uh, I've been a part of like the testing process like at worlds like very significantly beforehand um and then not played but i've never come out you know over seven days or like seven days before Mm -hmm. and then and uh yeah i don't know at this point i'd probably rather play (laughs) to be honest after testing so he's missing out i just don't honestly i wouldn't want to draft i don't like for me i personally don't like this draft format but i think it favors really really good players so from a competitive standpoint standpoint looking at the world championship i think it's a great format Mm. um for specific players but for me i didn't enjoy the, the process of it and i think where i ended up with it um, if I had more time, maybe it would change, but where I ended up with it, I don't feel as comfortable as I would uh, going into an event like this. I feel like it would be it would be a drag for me. I'd, I'd definitely not be looking forward to that part of the tournament. Yeah, it's it's. I'm not feeling ideal. Like, I, I struggled in Lille with Uprising. I don't think my preparation was enough. And then I fixed that for Nationals and mm-hmm. Worlds, and I went 11-1 uh, between those events and draft. I felt really good about it. I do not feel at that level right now for draft for this weekend, so I can feel that. But um, I learned to love these draft formats. I don't know. I think it's just like, it's like a, it's like Stockholm syndrome, man. I don't know. Like, <laughs> this, I learned to love these formats. Yeah, if you like math, this is a good format for you, yeah, to be I honest. It's, it's, math, it's, that's all right. Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting one. I'm in, I, we were talking about this yesterday, but I'm keen to hear the retrospective on this format after we've sort of living legended it, let it yeah. go. Um, after the world championship, after we really see like these theories come together and they battle it out. Cause you know, there are people that legitimately think that dash and max are playable. <laughs> I'm joking, but I want to see how the community looks at the format after the world yep. championship, because I've seen so many different things leading up to it where like people are up on it then they're down on it. Then they're like, Oh, I've been so down on it, but now that I played it more Stockholm <laughs> syndrome. It's like, it's better than it's so much deeper than you think. It's like, yeah, that's I mean, I feel. but that's maybe that's the case. And um, yeah, yeah, we just need to let it percolate a bit more before we sort of close the door on, uh, on bright lights. Yep. But 
I do think that I would, I prefer multi-class formats. Uh, I'll, 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 yeah, I'll reserve judgment. I was trying to work out what I, whether, if I was going to agree or not, but I'm going to, I'm reserve judgment a little bit longer. All right. That's been episode 136 of Arsenal Pass. Uh, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at BrendanAPG at Finn underscore Dale. There is a video version of this podcast. Make sure you get on that. With our oh. pictures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that's fine. But what, we had a bunch of great comments on the YouTube um, comments last week and some awesome stuff. And obviously we get to interact with those. If you're out there again and you've been doing this already, update our tracker for uh, the third week of our predictions, the final week of predictions. Oh, we're definitely going to be correct on this one. <laughs> I, I think so too, in some way, shape, or form. If we're not, it's going to be a super interesting World Championships. Um, what else? Uh, best thing you can do to help us out is go and rate the podcast, right? I'm just letting you sit. <laughs> Damn it, this is not my job. Uh, rate this podcast.com forward slash Arsenal Pass, I think is what it is. Or maybe you can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can go direct. There you go. And leave a review. Helps us out a lot. Uh, and if you are checking out the YouTube version, you know, give us a follow. We're, we're nearly at 6,500 subs. So shout out to all of the Arsenal Pass community out there. We really appreciate it. Oh, dude. You know what? I want to shout out the... If there's anybody that's here that's listened from the very beginning and is still not subbed, I want you to comment on the YouTube. Oh, I please. Know if you exist. <laughs> I want to know if you exist because we, we talked about hitting almost three years and that would be a feat. That would yeah. be a feat. Yeah. And then also while you're at a sub. <laughs> all right. Enjoy this weekend. And if you're watching from home or you're playing, uh, good luck if you're playing. If you're watching from home, enjoy the coverage. Look out for Brendan's shiny face and uh, smooth vocals. Yep. Until Can't next wait. week. See y'all.